Hello, everyone. This is Aaron, Dr. Aaron Stair from bloomingwellness.com. And it's another episode of Causes or Cures. Today on Causes or Cures, I'm going to be discussing a hot topic, a topic that has been in the news cycle 24-7 over the last several weeks, uh, a topic that has strong opinions on both sides, and that topic is, should we go back to school? Should we reopen our schools and let kids go back? Uh, we have to make these decisions fairly soon, and this is all you know, during the pandemic, the COVID-19 pandemic, what's the right thing to do? Should we open schools or should we keep them closed? And like I said, people feel very strongly about this, um, either, either pro or no. So who is my guest today? I am super excited to have on the line from Sweden, yes, Sweden, that country that did things a little differently than a lot of countries, including our own, the U.S. My guest is Dr. Jonas Ludvigsen. He is a pediatrician and an epidemiologist, so that's a cool combo. Uh, between 2011 and 2014, he was the chairman of the Swedish Epidemiological Association. Between 2014 and 2016, he was the chair of the Swedish Society of Pediatrics, and he's done extensive research in the area of pediatrics. He wrote a paper back in May saying that children are unlikely to be the drivers of the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, that article was in support of leaving schools open and schools remained open in, in Sweden. So I'm going to talk to him about that and see if his stance has changed at all or what he believes now, how he would advise us here in the U.S., um, he is also an honorary professor at Columbia University School of Medicine right here in New York City and at Nottingham University School of Medicine in the UK. He is on the editorial board of the European Journal of Epidemiology. And in 2019, he was named the staff pediatrician for the Swedish television station TV4. Okay. So I know people were really excited about this podcast because I've been getting requests. Is it up yet? Is it up yet? Well, it's now up and we're just going to dive right in and talk to Dr. Ludvigsen and see what he has to say. So as you know, this is a massive debate right now in the U.S. about opening schools. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> um, so you, I mean, you wrote in May the paper, children are unlikely to be <clears throat> the main drivers of the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, That's right. Right. So what, how did you come to that conclusion? Um, are, do you still, I know information changes as we get new data. So how do you, how do you feel about that now? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I still feel fairly confident that, that children do not uh, drive the pandemic and that they, uh, their contribution to uh, deaths in at least in the elderly is is minimal uh, and i think there are s fairly strong reasons to 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 support that i mean fairly strong arguments um i mean i'm a pediatrician i've been working in pediatrics for i don't know 22 23 years i'm also a professor of epidemiology since 7 years back so i'm 
on my day-to-day uh, work, I either see patients, very often children with infectious diseases, that's actually what I see most of, uh, but I'm also fairly skilled in, in reading papers and, and reviewing papers and understanding the data coming out from, from studies. And uh, given the uh, uh, massive uh, COVID-19 um, around the globe, also in Sweden, uh, during the spring, I decided to read up on this because this was a question in Sweden as well. Uh, should we close schools? Should we close uh, kindergartens, preschools or not? And when I tried at an early stage, I believe this was one of the first papers trying to review this topic. Um, I did so in, in April, May. Uh, I tried to look at various aspects of why children would drive a pandemic and why they might not drive a pandemic. And I think the first thing to look at is viral loads. Um, if you have a lot of virus in, in your body, you're more likely to share them with others than if you do not have a lot of viral viruses. And actually there was there is one study which is very often cited from Germany by a professor called Christian Drosten. And what is uh, a bit peculiar with that study is that uh, the conclusion of the study is that there is no difference in viral load between adults and children. But if you go into, into the data, you look at the data, uh, you can see that they actually find statistically significant differences between uh, viral load in children and in adults. And typically a child will have a viral load of about 40, 50,000 uh, virus particles. Uh, per, per a certain uh, you know, volume, uh, while an adult will have about 100,000 uh, in the same volume. And it's known that viral load is related to, to, to transmission of disease. Uh, another thing which I, I think is interesting is that uh, people who have symptoms typically uh, transmit disease more than people who do not have symptoms. Uh, and and we can and that has been shown also for COVID-19. There was a paper in the Lancet Infectious Diseases by Chinese research group earlier this spring, where they found that the average viral load is much much way higher. Some some say 60 times higher than asymptomatic cases. That does not mean that you cannot have high viral load if if you're asymptomatic. But on average. The viral load is lower if you are asymptomatic and children are much more frequently asymptomatic than, than, than adults. So, so that is to the advantage, so to say, of children that makes them less likely to to transmit the disease. But um, then th you, then when you're going to, to transmit the disease, you need to transmit it in in some way. And, and the most frequent way to transmit a droplet disease is through sneezing, coughing, etc. And given that children have fewer of these symptoms, they're less likely, I believe, to transmit viruses through coughing and sneezing. Um, and I think I re uh, read in your paper, there was a, you cited a paper where if a kid has a fever, um, that would be increased the likelihood of transmission, if that yeah. was the symptom. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so I guess if you're, just from a practical standpoint, if you're a parent and your kid has a fever, keep your kid at home. Um, definitely, definitely. Yeah. Um, and and that, that, I mean, when we discuss children and transmission through schools or to risk groups, elderly people, we need to distinguish between children with fever and children not having symptoms. I mean, in my country, at least, we send kids without symptoms to school. If they have a symptom, we just don't send them to school.
Right. That is a major, you know, that's a major point. That's critical. Right, right. Um, uh, and, and I think there was another paper that came out recently out of Germany that um, supports what you're saying. Um, uh, Professor Berner, he said he actually used the word break. He said children might act like a break for the transmission. Did you see that? No, I haven't. I haven't seen that uh, paper. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I can't comment on that specific paper, um, but but children getting the disease, I think, are less likely to transmit the disease, and at the same time, they increase the overall immunity to the disease in society, and, and in that way, they might actually, you know, calm the storm somewhat uh, as compared to adults. Uh, and you're, are you, you're talking about herd immunity? Yeah, Helping? yeah. Okay, okay. Um, uh, so, yeah, that paper I just read, I haven't, I just glanced at it, but I know it was the latest one I talked about. They took blood samples from, I think, 1,500 children um, and 500 teachers and um, even schools that had outbreaks. And they had, um, out of 2,000 blood samples, only 12 had antibodies or something, mm -hmm. um, something like that. But it was, it was, any, it, it's, it was just supporting what, what, you know, you, your hypothesis in the original paper. Um, so uh, some of my listeners and readers they wrote in questions and i think um mm -hmm. it'd be cool if you could just i know you may not be there might not be studies on these but um so like if you're in school um mm -hmm. and you know kids are in a classroom 20 to 30 kids so one teacher so one person asked me um he said you know people are concerned that if you're in this enclosed place for a long period of time like six hours a day um is that something that we should worry about um, I think it's it's always better if you have a physical distance between each other than if you don't. Yeah. Uh, I also think that for whom should we be worried? I mean, there are quite good data in Sweden where they've studied more than 100,000 teachers and the risk of, of COVID-19 disease that is symptomatic. And we can see that teachers are no more likely to get COVID-19 than, other, than other, other occupations. And that is despite the fact that we've kept our schools open. So, I mean, we've kept our schools open. We've actually have had, had 900,000 kids going to school for three months during a severe pandemic. And still we see no increased risk of COVID-19 in their teachers. I think that is a fairly strong argument for, yeah. for, for that, that, that children will not transmit the disease to teachers in any huge way. I think actually the risk of teachers getting COVID-19, it, it's probably stems more from, from the teacher's room where the teachers right. meet other teachers than right. meeting the kids, okay? Yeah. Um, but then uh, what about risks between kids? Because of course, if you have 25 kids sitting close to each other, I think the, the risk increases of transmission between the kids. At the same time, uh, kids' transmission from one to each other is, is smaller than from an adult to another. That's at least what, what the data suggests. And yep. if a kid gets COVID-19, the risk of getting ex very sick from COVID-19 is very, very small. We have a nationwide intensive care unit register in Sweden, which covers all the 84 intensive care units in Sweden. And we know that in Sweden we have about 1.7 million kids and we've had roughly 17 kids going to be, being in the intensive care unit for COVID-19. That means 
during a three-month period with a pandemic, one in 100,000 kids have ended up in the intensive care unit. That is extremely little. It is much less than for, for most other diseases and, 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 and dangerous situations that we face in society. So I wouldn't feel that worried about having 25 kids in the same classroom. Uh, that's the situation we've had in Sweden now for three months. And, and as the data show, it has not increased COVID-19 in, in teachers and the number of, of kids being severely sick has been minimal. Um, that's, I'm glad you brought that up about teachers because someone wrote, none of, no one cares about the teachers. And oh, I'm like, do. I don't think that's, yeah, yeah because um, they've actually analyzed the teachers um, in, in this data, right? In ter- you know, so, so they're not, so that's significant. I think that's really significant. Um, do you think the age of the teacher matters? Like uh, if you're older, I guess, and just in general, right? I mean, in, in general, if you're old, you're more likely to be, to, to get severe COVID-19 than if you're younger. But that said, we've had old teachers in school in Sweden, and we've had okay. more than 100,000 teachers being at school for three months. And, and many of these are probably 60. And, and still, we've had very few cases and not more cases than we've had among policemen, right. uh, firefighters, uh, you name it. Um, and, and in terms of transmission kids to teachers, you, it's not a significant, it shouldn't be a significant worry. No, I mean, if it was a significant worry, then we would have seen much more COVID-19 in teachers than we've had. Right. Okay. Um, yeah, and I agree. I was thinking that too, like in the teacher's room when you're sitting around drinking coffee, it's probably the highest risk um, in terms of like adult to adult. Um, I, I know Sweden's so interesting, especially to, uh, you know, the Americans, because you guys didn't close down really or... Um, but in the classrooms, did the teachers wear a mask or do no, the, no, 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 nothing? In, in Sweden, uh, people do not wear masks. I've, I've seen some data suggesting that perhaps three or four percent of the Swedish population wear masks. Actually, I haven't seen someone in Sweden wear masks for a couple of weeks. Uh, really? So that's that's how rare it is. No, it's it's not used because the Swedish Public Health Agency means that data from not from all study, but from the randomized clinical trials on, on face masks shows that the, the importance of masks is actually very small compared to the uh, physical distancing. What, what the Swedish authorities are afraid of is that when people wear masks, they don't care much as much yeah. about the distance as they right. would without masks. So, and distancing is believed to be more important here. So right. the teachers have not had masks. The kids have not had masks. I would say that the the number, the, the, the two major changes in Swedish schools during the pandemic has been very strict information. If your kid is sick, you stay at home. There's no compromise here. You just, they just stay at home. That is right. one. The second is you wash your hands and you wash them regularly. And, and those are actually, I think, the only two uh, recommendations that have been really implemented during spring. Um, that's really interesting. Cause I mean, cause over here, everyone's like, don't send them back. And I mean, it's, it's, it's a massive battle going into September. Um, I also wanted to comment, I, uh, in your paper, you talked about kids, um, they weren't often the index case or like the person no. just at, at right. not, right. Not just at schools, but not at home either. No. Right. Not with, not so right. If you live with, cause some people are like, yeah, but what if they come home to school and they're around their grandparents? You know, yeah, I mean, the, the, I, I have to say that 
they should not be just around their grandparents, uh, unfortunately. I mean, that, that, is, that is my recommendation here in Sweden. That is my recommendation in the U.S., that you should minimize the contact between kids and very old people. So, okay. I mean, provided that the grandparents are 70, 80 years old, I don't think they should, they, they should not hug their kids, their, their grandchildren. I mean, if they meet their grandchildren, they should have at least two meters of distance because they're very sensitive to COVID-19. To okay. them, it's a very dangerous disease. But I don't see how kids going to school means that their grandparents become more exposed to COVID-19. To me, I, I just don't get that. And they are the ones we should protect. Right. So I'm, right. I'm actually afraid that having kids at home, and let's say you're a single mom and you just yeah. need to work, who's taking care of the kids? Right. I mean, right. the grandparents. Why not have the teachers take care of the kids instead? Because they're not. They're obviously not that sensitive. So, so you have. To, I, I, no, I don't think that that keeping the kids at home will will uh, will benefit the older part of the population. Um, right. And that's, that's the most significant question here, really. Um, are they driving this or, or not? So if they're, um, the other question someone asked about was buses. So I told him I would ask you about that. Um, yeah. kids take kids taking the bus to school. Um, again, I guess that would be sort of the same thing. Uh, or well, I well, I, 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 I can see, I can see the transportation is, is a problem. Uh, I mean, I think that's a responsibility for uh, for the people running the transportations to supply a sufficient number of, of buses. I can also see that where available, uh, there are probably parents driving their kids to school rather than having them take the bus. If you take the bus, you need uh, you need to sit with some distance. And once again, right. you should not send a sick kid to school. Sick kids should not be on the buses, and they are the ones probably transmitting disease. While kids without symptoms, there are strong arguments to suggest that they do not transmit the disease. Okay. Okay. That's that's fair. Um, and so over, so I guess over here, uh, I know mean, teachers are like, well, should we wear, some teachers want to wear face shields, masks, but based on what's going on in Sweden, I I guess if you want to be extra cautious, I mean, how would how would you advise um, uh, Americans, <laughs> the Americans? <clears throat> no, I'm. I think the advice uh, to to anyone would be uh, protect your risk groups uh, because yeah. they are the ones uh, who mostly die, and and that's what we want to try to avoid. We want to avoid deaths and severe morbidity. And they are elderly people, and then there are, you know, some risk groups. Let's say, for instance, you're, you, are, you you suffer from severe obesity and you have diabetes, then you probably a, a risk. You belong to risk group even if you're just 60 rather than 70. And then okay. you should probably try to keep a, a distance to anyone. I would say not only kids, right. but having kids going to school. I don't think that increases the exposure. Having having kids without symptoms attending schools, I don't see how that increases the exposure of COVID-19 to people from the risk groups, to elderly people especially. I don't see that. Um, uh, can um, you, so, uh, yeah. Could you comment on playing sports, like kid, the yeah, sports team? Yeah. Uh, what do you think about that? 
I mean, I'm actually a, a, a soccer trainer and I've been that. Wow, oh, I played soccer, soccer my whole life. So. <laughs> okay, good, good. I've actually, I've been a soccer uh, trainer for 15 years now. Very and, cool. Uh, yeah, my, um, I mean, I'm surprised initially, you said soccer. I'm surprised you said soccer, isn't it? Football? No, I, I, that, that, that's because I know I have a U.S. audience. Otherwise, I would have said football. Yeah, yeah, okay. you know, I try, I, I adapt. I try to adapt. Yeah. You're a con- <laughs> yeah. Okay. No, but uh, I mean, initially when the pandemic was new and we knew little about it, uh, I told my team that okay, because we were, I mean, in Sweden in wintertime we have lots of snow, so we were unable to practice outside. So we were practice indoors instead with with, with soccer. And then I told my team initially, uh, first for the first one or two weeks, now maybe we shouldn't practice at all, but then uh, I started to read up on this and felt, okay, children do not seem to get that sick and they're unlikely to transmit the disease. And then instead I told everyone, okay, uh, as long as you feel 100% healthy, you can come practice indoors, but I want you to change at home so that when you come, we don't sit, you know, tightly around each other in the in, in the room where we we mm. tend to change, you know, uh, like into p- put on our shoes and put on our sportswear. You yeah. put that on at home, and then when you come, we start practicing uh, uh, immediately instead to to somewhat minimize, uh, you know, a large group uh, the time when a large group of people sit together. Yeah, that has been the uh, policy of Sweden throughout spring. Um, that uh, kids under the 18 uh, practice uh, just as, as as they always do, uh, while we have reduced initially the number of, of, of while we have reduced competitions among adults doing sports. But I think adults and children are differently, and and children have been practicing uh, most of the teams throughout the spring. And and my team, my club, it's just uh, business as usual. And uh, and in your opinion, uh, if things are okay, like with your yeah. team, yeah, yeah, things have been okay in my team. I know that things have been okay in other teams, and I also think that uh, physical activity is actually very important for kids. It's important sure. for their health, their 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 well being yeah. right now, and it's important for their well being in a in a the longer perspective, keeping the weight up, etc., uh, keeping the weight uh, you know at a good level, etc. So. So I don't want to take that away from kids, especially now that they do have probably fewer social contacts elsewhere. Yeah. Uh, so um, that, and then I think probably long. sports means a lot. Oh, God, yeah. That was like my whole life growing up. Um, mm-hmm. So um, and, and in terms of uh, do you think that the same things apply to college sports? I mean, obviously, they're older. And it, most of the studies <clears throat> I've seen were like younger kids. Um <clears throat> To be honest, I have difficulties in saying what about sports when you're like 20, 25. Uh, yeah. I don't know, but uh, I, I, I would probably say that sports when you're around 15, 16, 17, I, I, I'd probably consider that safe. Uh, although I think as is a measure of precaution, I mean, you could put on your sports gear somewhere else so that you come there, you, yeah. you play the game, uh, but you just don't stick around sitting 20 players close to each other. Right. Uh, you know, before or after the game, that's probably something you should avoid. I mean, I, I, I'm I'm pro physical distancing, but I believe that uh, the, if you feel healthy, I still believe a young person can do sports. Um, I like that too, and I think it's 
cool that when you talk about things that, you know, you're doing, um, innovations, like things to, you know, we're not going to get dressed in the locker room. And I think, uh, I saw another school, uh, where they were setting up tents to like to include in their classroom rotation, I guess, as long as the weather allows for it. And I'm like, I think, you know, those are the types of thing, creative things that people can do to just minimize exposure, um, but still kind of let the kids play and, and, and do the sports and get the learning and all that kind of stuff. Um, I, I do you, th- so we talk a lot about Sweden over here. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure, well, I, I mean, I guess a lot of countries do, but, um, in your opinion, do you, uh, do you think it was, um, you did the right thing to not shut down? Um, I'm just, I'm curious about your opinion on that. Yeah. I mean, I think that every country has done, you know, good things, bad things. Yeah. And I think it would be transparent to say that there were some things that we could have done differently in Sweden and, and which could have improved our situation. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's not a uh, uh, it's not a secret that per capita we have a large, a fairly large number of deaths, and that is probably for three reasons. I think that's important to to understand before you evaluate the the uh, you know the number of deaths. And one is that almost all the deaths have taken place in Stockholm, the capital area, and, and Stockholm capital is clearly the largest urban. Um, the, the largest urban area in, in Northern Europe, St. Petersburg aside, but otherwise Stockholm is the largest urban area. Uh, so w- where people live quite, you know, uh, closely to each other. So that that has increased. Uh, mm. That that has probably you know promoted uh, a, a number of cases. The second thing is that uh, Sweden is is people in Sweden are very mobile uh, during. February and March, when the, or, or between January and February, when, when the disease started to spread, uh, it's been estimated that one million Swedes were abroad at some stage. That is actually 10% of the population. That is like, you know, you having 25 million Americans traveling abroad at the beginning of a pandemic. Oh. I mean, you can imagine that they would bring home, you know, lots of disease, even if they were not aware of the disease. I mean, so, so because, and, and the reason for being a very, a mobile country or mobile people is, is partly because we're a small country. People travel a lot. It's yeah. a very international country, but also that we have a much larger immigrant population than most other countries in Northern Europe. Uh, we've been very, you know, welcoming uh, asylum seekers from from Northern Africa, from the Middle East, Syria, Afghanistan to a large, much larger extent than most of our neighboring countries. And And these people also live very close to each other and sometimes children, grandparents together in, in, in to a much higher extent than, than most traditional Swedish families. And it was in these areas that we saw, uh, you could say, almost an explosion of COVID cases in, in March. And it was very difficult to stem that tide. Uh, I think that is, th- these are some of the reasons why we saw a very abrupt increase in the number of cases in Sweden. It was definitely not for for keeping the schools or the kindergartens open. So keeping the schools and the kindergartens open is, I think, one of the best things that Sweden actually did. Uh, It it, it has shown that we did not get a lot of teachers sick. We did not get a lot of kids sick. 
And at this stage, no one really questions, what are we going to do this autumn? It's just business as usual. Okay, the kids are going back to school because they've been school all the time. While in many other countries, there are these, you know, quite fierce uh, debate, uh, are we going to open oh, yeah. up the schools or not? I mean, we don't have that debate because they're open. And of course, there's, they'll remain open. And, and well, nothing I'm, has really happened. I mean, there's probably some, I mean, over here, I feel like, you know, the epidemiologists, public health uh, officials um, are split or maybe even lean more towards keeping schools closed. Um, obviously, it's a hotly debated topic. Um, so I, I don't know. I mean, and, you know, people lots of times I think things like what you mentioned before, mental health and then the economic reasons, uh, you know, kids go to school, go to school, they get their meals, the child care so the parent can go to work. Um, sometimes I think those things get lost in the, in the discussion. And of course it's, it's like a, a bit of a balancing act and no one has all the answers, but, uh, um, yeah, right now this, this debate in America is just, uh, people are just at each other's throats over it. And I don't know either if it's become, uh, it's become also a political issue over here too, which makes it harder to, um, I guess sift through the, uh, I don't, I don't want to get myself in trouble, but sometimes it's hard to know if something's politically motivated or not. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, um, I mean, I can see from the... I, I actually... Um, uh, I got a copy of the Complete New York Times on Monday, and I actually read it yesterday evening because I had some a couple of hours left. And yeah. I, I can see from, from the stories that there is, of course, a division in the U.S. My impression from that from those articles was not that it was a... A, a, a partisan issue, but rather that there are, you know, Republicans pro, Republicans against, President, you know, pro against, Democrats pro against. So uh, it was not my yeah. feeling from, from those articles that it was a clear Republican-Democratic issue. Um, yeah, I, well, that's true. I, I think um, there's definitely a lot of other other issues at play. I think it's um, it's just hard to tell. And it, yeah. I, I, I don't know if you'd ever really know. Um, but uh we are very divided on it, though. So yeah. uh, I'm not sure what will happen, but um, and no. Parents- but I think I, I think I think it's interesting that uh, even a magazine or, or a magazine that I consider pretty conservative, The Economist, which I read regularly, argues very very strongly in their latest issue last week to open up the schools everywhere uh, for 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 the kids' sake and for the sake of the economy and for the sake of of a long-term loss of, of education in, yeah. in kids. So, um, and, and they also point out, which I pointed out in every interview, that kids do not tend to get very sick. And now the data are coming in that teachers do not seem to get very sick either. I think um, the arguments against uh, opening up schools are quite weak. All right. Well, that there you have it. I mean, and yeah, I think that's a very, so many people were like, what about the teachers? You're not, uh, and then, you know, we're not going to, we don't want to go back to school and risk ourselves. So um, I think that I'm not sure why we're not focusing more on that data, but maybe we will as it gets closer to the fall. Uh, I don't know, but in general, the U.S. is pretty divided at the, at the moment. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I think that's it. I, 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 you know, I wrote down a bunch of questions that my listeners wanted me to ask you. I'm pretty sure I got them, got them mm-hmm. all. And I really, mm-hmm. I really appreciate um, your insight on this and, and your time. I think it'll be really helpful in, uh, uh, yeah, people who are just really curious about this issue in general. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking there, there's one thing I would like to to add, and that is that a lot of the discussion about 
school closures or open schools, I think, um, is 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 based on data, is based on on studies on influenza or what influenza is like because influenza has always has also been you know an epidemic and it's quite frequent disease. It, you, we should keep in mind that influenza is very very different from COVID-19. Influenza and kids, I've seen kids almost die from influenza. It can be very severe, and we know that from influenza in household studies, kids yeah. make up the majority of the index case. But we also know that in COVID-19 they definitely do not. They do not seem to be very sick, the kids, and they're rarely the index case. So you can't say that, okay, these are the measures we take from an influenza pandemic. Now we should take the same measures for COVID-19. COVID-19 is a different disease. It's like saying, okay, when you go by boat, it's good to have a life vest, a life jacket. Now I'm going by car. I should probably put on a, a life vest. No, you shouldn't. You should, you should use a safety belt because it's a different means of transportation. We need to keep influenza and COVID-19 apart. The same, you, you, you can't draw the same conclusion from both diseases. Um, and just to, can you just clarify, because I know a lot of people don't, um, uh, don't have backgrounds in epidemiology, just basic what an index case is, just for people who don't know. Yeah, the index case is the first case in, in, in a group that gets symptoms or gets the disease. Okay, right. So then in, in influenza, the kids are often the in index In influenza, case. in a family, the kid is often the first getting influenza and then right. spreading it to the others in the family. We know that right. since before. Right. Okay. So that, but in COVID-19... The, the kids is very rarely the first getting the, the, the disease and rarely spreading it to others. They get the disease from an adult instead. And, and that is very important when yeah. we discuss as school closures that if there is an influenza argument, that argument does not automatically apply to COVID-19 situation. COVID-19 is different. Okay. Um I think that's all the questions I had for you. Okay. Uh, okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. And I know that you teach at Columbia sometimes. Uh, yeah. Right. Yeah. That yeah. happens. That happens. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Thank you very much for the interview. It was great talking to you. And if you, you have a chance, uh, please send me an email to the podcast or something, and I'll share it with my friends here in Sweden. Absolutely. Thank you so much, and okay. enjoy the rest of your day there. Okay. Yeah. Thank you too. Bye. 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 All right, guys, thank you so much for listening to Causes or Cures. Thank you to Jonas for coming on and explaining his position. Hopefully this gives you more to think about uh, as we continue to debate this topic, I'm sure. Um, if you have any questions for me, you can reach me through my website, bloomingwellness.com. Aaron at bloomingwellness.com is my email address. Uh, do check out the blog and the store. I think, yeah, right now we have a sale on Zen Bands, um, a big sale. So be sure to check that out. And um, you can find me on Instagram, Dr. Aaron Stair. Pretty sure that's my username, at Dr. Aaron Stair, something like that. Um, and feel free to share this podcast. Feel free to message me with any questions that you have. I do always try to get back to people. Um, or if you hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook, I do try to comment as much as I can. Sometimes life gets busy and I can't, but, um, you know, if you send me more than one message, I'm like, okay, this must be pretty important. I'll respond. No, I'm just kidding. I do try to get back to everybody. Um, that said, take care, everyone. Take care of each other uh, during this pandemic and keep an open mind. Keep collecting information. 
um, as much information as you can so you can make informed decisions about um, the many different factors of this pandemic. Okay, bye-bye.